So hello everybody, welcome to another podcast hosted on U Media and today um, it's a first, a first for the podcast, a first for our platform, we have our first returning podcast visitor, uh, Mr. David Spratt from Total Utilities Management Group. Morning, and, um, we made a commitment to each other, didn't we, and last time we were here that um, we were talking about TUMG, Total Utilities and what you guys do in the market and we touched on the subject of electric vehicles and how technology is supporting the rollout of electric vehicles um, but that the knock-on impact of that into infrastructure and everything. So we decided to reconvene and spend another 20 or so minutes digging into the world of EV and also the implications that has on other technologies that go into the market. So welcome back, sir. Thank you very much, Dave. Yes, this is a uh, an example of where IT hits sustainability and the way that the IT community can actually make a difference to the future generations. Yeah, so interesting, um, very good. interesting news as well. I saw in your LinkedIn profile that you've um, recently been appointed as a a new role as well. Do you want to give us a bit of insight into the in, into that and uh, how how you're uh, you're personally progressing with this whole electric movement? So, uh, just recently, the annual general meeting of Electricity Trusts of New Zealand made me their deputy chair. Uh, some would say it's because that was the guy who didn't run fast enough, but um, <laughs> it's it's actually quite a uh, an amazing and unsung group in that they control assets on, on the behalf of consumers to the tune of around $13 billion worth of assets, which makes it the largest trust yep. in New Zealand. Yep. These trusts turn over about a billion dollars a year and make nearly three quarters of a billion dollars in profit, and they provide the essential component to our electricity network, which is the power poles, the transformers, the night lights, physical all of those things, yep. the physical infrastructure. So these are all known as lines companies or electricity distribution companies. So uh, it's a very, very powerful but unsung group, and, and I was honoured that they trusted me with that. Oh, I mean, you know, with, with the work that you guys have done at TUMG over the, the years, there's a pedigree in that that field, and it's no, no surprise at all. But we can see... Um, collectively, me and you have had these discussions before. We can uh, we can feel what's coming around the corner when it comes to how important that infrastructure is going to be for um, becoming carbon neutral, neutral country and moving away from fossil fuels and utilising that infrastructure in a in a different way. Um, I imagine that they can they're looking for as much intelligence on their board board as, as possible when it comes to how they support the infrastructure rollout for um, what inevitably is going to be reusable energy in the future. Certainly the trusts are typically made up of um, groups of people who tend to be older and, in inverted commas, wiser. Right. And they certainly are looking for some fresh thinking. Uh, it used to be 10 years ago that it was just w copper wires and electricity going up and down. It's not that simple today. The demands on our electricity network are changing virtually daily. And, of course, we're faced with a position now where there's a possibility of adding hundreds of thousands of electric vehicles to, to electric vehicles to our network and, um, and hoping it doesn't melt down. And, again, that's going to take a lot of intelligence and a lot of effort to ensure the network stays up. When I used to live in the UK, um, there was always a running theme that when the soaps were on at 7, 8.30 at night, that when the adverts came on, the, the grid used to just going to melt down because people were going to put the kettle on for a cup of tea. So in the breaks between Coronation Street and EastEnders, the grid were going to meltdown. And if you look at it from where we're at here, the fact is that you know that's just your kettle being switched on. If we've got you know 4.5 million people driving electric vehicles and they t turn up at home and all jack into the grid at the same time, it's not your kettle. It's a you know a couple of million Teslas that are drawing down the network. That's a 
It's a huge, huge demand. demand. Yeah. It huge is a, or potentially a huge demand. And it comes into a category known as peak load. What happens is that if you load up the network to its capacity, there are pricing mechanisms throughout the whole system that causes the price of electricity and of supply of that electricity to go up. Mm -hmm. And so that's passed all the way down to the retail level. So if everybody comes along at 6 o'clock and decides to charge their EV, the price of electricity to those people will be substantially higher yep. than it would be at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Uh, and of course, at the back end of that, there is load balancing going on people trying to find ways to, in fact, consume electricity from the various sources, whether it's geothermal, whether it's from hydro, whether it's from wind energy or solar, solar to ensure that we don't actually hit peak load as often as we should yeah. and that we make the best use of the electricity available to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, but even regardless of price, you've still got to produce the power, right? That it's, it's, the, the price is the, is the symptom of load. But the fact is you've still got to have the means to generate the network. So you know, and that that too come, becomes a waste because you you can't just magically make electricity appear, right? You've got to go through a process of production, you know, be it storing it and then producing it into the network, or you know, using more fuel in another fashion to load the network up. That that's right, and of course, we're very very fortunate in New Zealand that over eighty percent of our electricity is produced mm -hmm. renewably, in particular from our hydro dams, and you can think of hydro dams as giant batteries as you want to yep. release electricity from them, the level of water has to go down. And when you're not actually releasing electricity, the level of water will go up. Um, with this, you've got a very complementary scenario where solar power and wind energy are actually complementary to that as mm -hmm. well, in the sense that if you are providing solar power onto the network, the dam will fill up. Yes, sure. Yeah. So these things are very important in terms of some of our future considerations in terms of sustainability. But in truth, today, in terms of load balancing and, and peak load, it's coal, gas, and oil which are used to provide peak load because they're mm -hmm. so easy to switch on and mm -hmm. switch off. Solar, you have to actually basically yep. put the stuff into batteries. Yep. Uh, wind energy, well, of course, the wind has to, has to blow present, for that yep. to work. So we do find ourselves in a scenario where inadvertently, uh, as we start to move towards more sustainable technologies like electric vehicles, we find ourselves putting extra load on our consumption of oil and gas. So it's a yep. we're, we're in dilemmas all the way through this. Mm -hmm. And again, it's IT that will drive some of the decision-making around those dilemmas. Yeah, and IT is definitely helping reduce waste in the system and clever consumption. And But your journey started out in um, slightly different to this. You've not just jumped straight into this whole this whole process. You've been working, uh, you've been writing a column, I believe, on electric vehicles, and you've been test driving a whole heap of... Um, product to cut that got you into this field of becoming a subject matter expert on EV. Do you want to tell us what you've been flying around the streets of Auckland in, or crawling around the streets of Auckland in? I've I've so far been lucky enough to test drive seven different types of electric vehicles, and uh, I would have to say that those people who uh, who come in the vehicle with me would say that I'm one of the world's most boring drivers. I am not a car guy. But I think what happened with the uh, Employers and Manufacturers Association was that they were actually looking for a businessman uh, to make a comment about how cars might work. So, you know, what would it be like to have the runaround that you'd use as a courier van? Or what would it be like right. to have the managing director's, you know, electric uh, car, which used to be a Jag, is now an electric Jag, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So it was quite a thrill when the first car that I was given was the uh, Tesla S100 Sports, the fastest production car on earth. 
What a machine. Uh, it is absolutely amazing. And I came away in love, and that really, really triggered uh, my interest in all the other electric mm-hmm. vehicles that I was able to drive. But uh, if I may, I'll just talk a little bit about that S100. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a car that most of us will never own. They're probably about $300,000 just to buy a bottom-of-the-range one. But they, they are, for an IT person, just so nerdy. Yeah, they've just yeah. got those cool features. One of them that there's, it downloads new software to improve its performance in real time because it's got an online 3G connection to mm-hmm. the outside world. You know, and they're really quirky. I'm driving along down the road with one of the kids uh, and uh, said, would you like to see Santa mode? Push the button mm-hmm. and suddenly the big screen lights up and the faster I go, the faster Santa whips his blooming reindeer yeah, as we go yeah. down the road. Absolutely the coolest thing. And also so Californian, so weirdly paranoid about the way they've done it. I mean, they've yeah. built an electric car to be an electric sports car. But at the same time, they put in bio-emergency mode, which is yeah. air conditioning that will take over in the case of an anthrax attack. I mean, this is not something that consumes the mind of most New Zealanders. But, you know, for Californians, obviously, that's a very, Just very important that, feature. Yeah. They've got <laughs> vegan leather seats. I mean, is that made of real vegans, or how the heck does yeah, that work? Those, yeah, I don't no know, comment. but, you know, yeah. it's just, poof, I don't know. They, As I say, quirky, nerdy, Californian, and just plain ordinary brilliant. So I saw that that um, if you'd bought a, uh, a Tesla Model S a few years ago, I think it had a range of three, 290 miles or whatever, the same car today with the new software update will do 330 miles to the total full charge based on just pure efficient software upgrades. So that's the only car I can think of that gets more performant over time. In real time? In real time. You don't even know anything's happened. So it's the older cars, as you uh, many of you would know, is the, the uh, you'd put a new chipset or you'd make some change yeah. to it. But uh, no, not with these guys. Yeah. Real-time upgrades. And uh, in terms of that charging, Tesla, because of the uh, range and power of these batteries, have actually built their own power stations all the yep. way down the country and I wouldn't network, even yep. call them chargers because they're mini power stations in eight different locations around the country that will charge the Tesla from naught to 80% in about 45 minutes but if you try to charge one of those Teslas at home it takes about two days yep. just on a three pin plug yeah, yeah. although they do provide you with a, uh, a free sort of fast charge which will help it charge overnight but we again, if you consider that scenario with the Teslas, we're seeing a similar scenario with the major trucking firms. Uh, a number of the truck uh, manufacturers have come out and said they're going to produce only electric trucks by 2030. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fine, except in order to charge an electric truck, it takes a 4 megawatt, megawatt charging station, mm-hmm. and you'd have to put them all the way down the country and put enormous load on the network. And if you could imagine having to build those things, it's attracted the interest of the oil companies. The oil companies are going, well, if we already have our uh, fueling stations here, can we put in major charging stations for these trucks and redesign our infrastructure? So we're starting to see fundamental change in the way that people are thinking about the way they do business, and even oil companies starting to think less about themselves as oil exploration companies and more about service delivery companies electricity as a service fuel as a service yeah so uh so tesla have approached the whole mandate of renewable energy very differently to 
other um, traditional motor car manufacturers where they've got the supply chain kind of locked up of electricity, right? So they, they those who are familiar with Tesla, the car is kind of the hero product, but actually that they've got solar business, they've got a battery business, and they've got a car business. Um, with the Nirvana status being that you charge your your batteries installed at home with the Tesla power wall that's charged from your solars on your roof that charge your electric electric vehicle. And if you can get that supply chain, actually the, the reliance on the grid goes away. Because actually the biggest issue is actually the drawer on the grid. It's the reason it's eight hours to charge is because you can't draw more than 32 amps from the grid. I imagine it's something limited by that. Whereas if you've got battery to battery, you can pretty much induct it straight across. So that whole harvesting and storing of energy within the network um, becomes almost the you it becomes the, the storing of it and becomes the bottleneck now. Yes, and with that comes the rise of what they call the prosumer, because of course if you've got a power wall or any other of those equivalent uh, high performance battery setups at home, you can find yourself in a position where you're actually selling electricity back onto the grid. Sure, and that is not well, maybe back to yourself a, even, or back to yourself. Yep. We've seen Vector, our largest um, electricity lines company, just come up with a, uh, a service that they're trialling, uh, which is around energy as a service. And they're talking about a scenario where you could drive your electric Tesla up or any other electric car up to your garage at night. And in fact, the artificial intelligence on board will talk to the artificial intelligence on your smart meter and tell it whether or not it wishes to consume electricity at 6 o'clock mm-hmm. at, say, 27 cents per kilowatt hour, or whether, it wish, or whether it might be fully charged and wish to provide electricity to the network at 27 cents per kilowatt hour. So you find yourself in a position where people are coming up and saying, well, I'd like to charge my car at 2 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. for 6 cents per hour. But you're happy to deliver back. Yep. But I'll be happy to deliver it back at night. Yep. at 27 cents. Now, the margins on this, there's a lot of factors around how you do that because there's retailers and other people mm-hmm. who might have an opinion on that. But we see the situation of a producer and a consumer suddenly becoming the same thing. So the next thing that comes up, if you're looking at that level of complexity, is how, from a technology perspective, do you use something like the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence to, for example, get Dave Spratt to trade electricity with Dave Howden as opposed to feeding it back onto yep. a national grid. And so we're starting to see this rise of community prosumers of electricity. And of course, this has been happening in the same concept in the technology landscape for a while now with how you leverage um, shared compute power. So blockchain is based on that model. Right? The fact is that you have idle compute power that you're not using and you can deliver it back to the net- network for a fee to, to give mass computing power to, to other sources. It's ver- this, yeah, this capacity model is appearing everywhere. I think electricity is a fascinating place to go because ultimately that's where, well, the word, econo- the word economy is not the right topic, but the fact is that the green mandate kind of drives it a lot harder. I think it does. I think it does. We, we have you know, school children going on strike because they're concerned about their futures. Mm-hmm. This mandate does convert into the availability of money. It drives economic decisions and it drives social decisions. And, and economics, is, for example, is a... Uh, is a social science as much as it is a mathematical science. And we're seeing the economics of these things changing in terms of social cost, in terms of how these things come together. And of course, you're back to dealing with complexity. And and Dave, you and I know this, we both work in an industry where complexity is in fact at the heart of it. And we're really assisted by things like Moore's Law, where every 18 Mm -hmm. months, the power and speed of our compute services will double. 
Now that allows us to do more with complexity. So this energy sector where the complexity is massive, and you, you mentioned before, we have four and a half million people in New Zealand. We have 2.1 million consumers in terms of households in mm -hmm. New Zealand of electricity. And in the past, all we could do was nail up a copper wire and connect the houses and try to balance the load. Today, we're actually looking at the consumer right down to what is that person doing with their fridge? What are they doing with their electric vehicle? What are they doing with the various service, services that can be delivered? And that's changing the, both the economics and the nature of the offers that people are receiving. So we're seeing the rise of online electricity retailers. Mm -hmm. But we're also seeing the rise of data analytics firms who are now dealing with big companies and saying, we will help you to understand the electricity consumption of every device that you use in order that you can, in fact, get the peak efficiency from it. If you look at this at a opportunistic level, and I'm, I'm speaking as a non-subject matter expert because this is definitely not my, my area of expertise, but presumably you could take a product that consumes electricity and at that minute detail actually wrap up the power of it into the product, right? So you could buy a fridge that's pre-powered from a consumption perspective, like a fridge as a service, and it sounds ridiculous, but imagine buying a Tesla, but then them Tesla supplying electricity to you, because effectively it becomes an open market of transacting. If, if the electricity distribution company could provide you with a platform to do that, yeah. yes, and that's the key. We're seeing the rise of this idea of platforms, and these platforms are intelligent, and then yes, you could have that situation. To be honest, I'd never thought of that. I had more thought of the idea of the fridge being intelligent uh, yeah. and, and communicating its requirements in terms of consumption of yeah. electricity and, and which services. I've, I've gone, I don't know if it's a step above that or a step deeper into it, which is actually you go and buy your fridge and you buy the, the asset, which is perpetual, and then you power it yourself, or you buy it as a subscription, pre-powered. Pre-powered, yes, and then it's up to the fridge manufacturer to go yep. and find that electricity at That's the right. cheapest price and deliver it to you when you need it. That's right. And the efficiencies required then start to get very, very interesting because the demand then becomes to the producer to ensure that the service is most efficient. That's right. Yep. And away from the consumer. And uh, Which would know, be some interesting buying economics because you then have every electronics production business in the world back into the wholesale market looking to negotiate wholesale prices for power because they'd, be, they'd become huge consumers and platforms for... And what a change to the market as it stands where we see, for example, in the New Zealand market, by far the biggest consumers of electricity being mass manufacturing. Sure. Uh, a good yeah. example being the TY yeah. Point uh, aluminium smelter, which uses... 15% of New Zealand's right. electricity. Uh, the Blue Coat Steel Steel Factory out at Glenbrook, the, mm. the old Glenbrook Steel Mill, again, huge consumers. Fonterra, huge consumers, but all industrial manufacturers. What you're talking about, again, is coming down to the level where it's the long tail, the micro-consumers of services and the micro-consumers of devices that will actually make up the uh, the powerful forces in the market. Of the well, I guess it's a change of the unit. So the, right now, the household is the unit of this house is connected to this supplier. What that's we're saying it. is it's now the appliance that's connected to the supplier. That's it, and the people who sell the most fridges become the most powerful. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And it would it would actually stop the need for the house to be connected. You wouldn't need to move a connection or close off connection. You would, if I move my fridge to another house, it's immediately powered because that's just the way it, that's the way it is. 
Yes, so I mentioned before this idea of a platform and, and a grid coming from the electricity distribution mm. companies. The challenge to that, if you come back to Electricity Trusts of New Zealand and the way that they think about this, is that most of them are already spending about three quarters of a billion dollars a year on new assets, just maintaining their exi existing lines. So power poles that are yep. a bit rotten, transformers mm -hmm. that have reached the end of their life, that sort of stuff. And what's happening is that some of them are saying, okay, let's, uh, let's put in smart meters because these smart meters will in the longer run with their intelligence, mm -hmm. intelligence on board allow uh, companies to actually access information yep. about the devices and, all, and presumably provide some of the security and privacy around that as well because yep. it's pretty important. I don't think everybody wants to know no. that the government knows what's in their fridge. Sure, well... Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, the, the challenge is it's okay for companies like, say, Vector or Counties Power who are in growth areas around the Auckland region where they're able to fund these new activities much, much harder when you get to some of the edge regions where, in fact, their populations are falling, perhaps industrial manufacture is going away, and yet they're having to maintain networks. Mm. Uh, they're having to keep these things up because at the end of the day, they have a statutory obligation to provide reliable electricity. Mm -hmm. They're called, uh, well, the electricity themselves, electricity trusts themselves are known as regulated trusts yep. or exempt trusts is the other one where they're not regulated. But typically the regulated trusts find themselves in a position where they have to meet targets for reliability. Yeah, critical infrastructure. Critical yeah. infrastructure, exactly. I mean, uh, switch off your electricity for four days and, and just realise how yeah. dependent yeah. we are on it. In fact, four hours, really. Yeah. So in that sense, this is a national question as well. This is a very, very important national economic question, is how do we ensure that we don't end up creating energy poverty by helping the rich to get richer with with energy and the poor to get poorer simply by a failure to deliver access to the services. So just because you're in mm. small town Northland, does this mean that you are not going to have access to artificial intelligence, to the Internet of Things, to the sorts of services that we've discussed, simply because the area doesn't have the scale, scope or economic power of Auckland Central. So there's some very, very important political and economic decisions that have to be made over the next 10 or 15 years, and they simply can't be ignored because in the meantime, most, for example, of the vehicle manufacturers are announcing that they will be pretty much electric vehicles mm -hmm. or hybrid vehicles by 2030. Mm -hmm. If that is the case and we just simply decide that we're not prepared to have the core conversations, we'll have two things. One, we'll have enormous pressure on our network. And the second thing we'll have is institutionalised economic poverty of power for key areas in our society, and that's not okay. So there's yep. some big yep. questions that yep. need to be asked. And again, the answers to many of those questions come back to the role of the IT companies and how they can provide thought leadership. That's absolutely critical. Yep. We're seeing Google, for example. They own one of these EDBs, not in New Zealand, but they own a lines company in the United States, and they are testing services to see how they can provide grid computing. Right. We're seeing the same from obviously the other big players, Microsoft for example, are thinking very, very seriously about this and they've taken a more social consequence kind of view to this. So uh, 
you know, these are the big questions. And when I first became a trustee for counties power, I thought electricity was pretty dumb because I was a real clever IT guy who'd done mm. strategy all my life and I knew all how the bits and bytes worked and all those sorts of things. I have been on probably the steepest learning curve of my life, understanding the complexity and importance of what goes on in our emerging and existing electricity industries. Mm. And all industries are going through, and um, we say this a lot here, and I think it's fair to say that every industry is having to reinvent itself because of the fact it's being disrupted by other technologies that actually apply total different uses to core infrastructure. And I think if you, if you look at um, the road infrastructure today, specifically in Auckland, um, it's obviously we've got a, we have a traffic issue. And it's the only the only issue we have is in a, there's two places, the tunnel in Wellington and the um, around rush hour and in Auckland. Now, the question I've really got in my head is the consumers of electricity, electric vehicles. I'm pretty certain, and I really value your opinion on this one. If there are a million vehicles on the road today, I'm making that number up. There are a million vehicles today. When we see the likes of Tesla become more prominent on our roads, my feeling is that the the number of vehicles on the road is going to significantly reduce because we're going to see the introduction of a capacity model similar to Airbnb and Uber with all of these autonomous vehicles that land on the road. I will be the first to throw my car away the second I can, it's autonomous and it's electric. Because I don't want to own a car. I just want to be able to summon one the second that I need one. And therefore, does that mean that we all don't need to own a car because of the, the technology is going to become right into the world of the, the transport? So therefore, does the fact that EVs becoming so more prominent and driverless vehicles becoming so more prominent that we think there could be an answer to our Auckland transport issue? I think it's the only answer to our traffic issues in Auckland and in the major cities. Essentially, Auckland will continue to grow. And if we continue to put cars onto the road at the current rate that we're doing, we literally are going to come to a standstill again, despite yep. any amount of effort. So I think, Dave, you've described that well. We live in a service-led economy, and there's been a lot of very, very good economic uh, calculations done on the idea of cars as a service. Putting a person into that car is effectively just a taxi. But if you have driverless vehicles and you have the ability to, in fact, have these vehicles available to people when they need them. The idea of cars as a service dramatically changes the economics of owning a vehicle. Where today it costs you roughly $15,000 a year mm -hmm. to own a car, you're probably talking somewhere around five or $6,000 a year to consume the equivalent service because most of the time our cars are in car parks and they're not used. But again, we're back to this complexity and back to the role of IT. We're talking about how does this work with, uh, for example, data networks, mm -hmm. mobile data networks, because those are the things that will drive many of the uh, decisions that are being made by the artificial intelligence at the back end, the service delivery at the front yep. end. So yes, Dave, I think you're dead right. We will see the emergence of cars as a service and the sort of transformation that we saw with Uber and the sorts of transformations we've seen in so many other industries, Spotify, those types of things yep. that have come along and just decimated the recording industry. Well, decimated, or some would say, in fact, liberated oh, the recording yeah. industry. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think we will see the same in terms of cars as a service. We could well see the economic liberation 
of a number of people by the fact that in the past they may have had terrible, terrible cars that they couldn't afford to keep on the road. And suddenly right. they're now driving or now being driven. Well, if you can't afford $15,000 a year to keep a car on the road and you can afford five, effectively it, it actually creates an equilibrium of wealth in that, that scenario. And that is the power of these services. And, and a, a good example of that going off to slightly left field here is the fact that telecommunications networks in Africa just basically didn't exist until about 20 years ago mm -hmm. because of the cost of running all that copper wire. The emergence of the mobile phone right. transformed mobile. Yep. the economies of Africa and put power, economic power, into the hands of all of the people instead of a very small number. So I do think these things are both economically and socially very, very interesting. And yeah. as you can see, this is the politician, Dave, talking now because I've been elected. That's but right. That's, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it is, uh, it's, it's a very, very important consideration, I think. And again, uh, when we look at our own companies, our IT companies, more and more we're talking about consumers, we're talking about communities, and we're talking about the impact that we're having on business at a business level, and talking less and less about the technology. Technology mm -hmm. is just the enabler. But I almost gave up on the computer industry about 10 years ago, because I just thought, you know, what's the next big thing? Mm -hmm. We're just going down the road of software upgrades and server upgrades. This would have to be probably one of the most exciting times to be in IT. Oh, absolutely, yeah. In my memory. Yep. It's incredible. Probably since the rise of the internet, it's yep. just incredible what's possible. And uh, it's great to see a whole generation of techie nerds and big picture thinkers coming together and actually looking to transform what we do and how we do it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, these topics are things that you can unpack for days and days and days and days. And we've not even scratched the surface of uh, vehicle autonomy yet, which is something that I'm a bit of a geek nerd on. I'm a Tesla super fan. Maybe I should interview you. We should interview you as a super fan. Yeah, okay. um, David, thank you once again so much time you're spending with us. I do appreciate your insight. Um, fascinating once again. Um, please don't let this be the last time you uh, come across our recording desk. And then there's plenty more things we can get, get, to get you across. Congratulations on the appointment of your new position. Uh, I think it will be a, a good one for you and for the organization as well. Thanks very much. It's been lovely to talk to um, For um, anybody that wants to find out more or get in contact with you, where's the best place to, to reach out? Easiest way would be to email me. So just you'll find my email address on um, totalutilities.co.nz. Yeah, and you're a LinkedIn user as well, are you? Oh, I am a LinkedIn, LinkedIn user. LinkedIn, yes. yes. So David fact, Spratt on LinkedIn. You can pretty much find me on any social media. Any social media. Yes. Once again, David, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. That's a pleasure. Yeah.